Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sabermetrics Podcast. This is episode two of season three. Uh, we're a little bit of the dead part of the off season, but we're slowly approaching the start of the Saber season. So, me and Bill got a good amount of stuff to talk about this time. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing well. Uh, something that we probably won't see again, or at least for a very long time, um, especially under the circumstances, having a summer World Juniors tournament. Uh, that was relatively, um, you know, unique in the sense of being able to see all these prospects and not seeing certain players that were at the previous one, like Owen Power and, and things of that nature. So um, I know Walt is going to break down that. And uh, did you want to just hop right into that? Or I know we, you know, kind of mulled over this. Did you want to go over a non-hockey gripe from over this weekend first? Yeah, I mean, we'll just go over that first. I feel like the cover charges for bars in downtown Buffalo are just outrageous. Like, I could understand if there's actually, like, a good amount of people inside, but paying $20, no live music, just to go to some bar that's empty, I feel like that should be criminal. That's just awful. I mean, yeah. Like, five bucks here and there seemed, especially at, like, you know, pretty like packed bars seems like okay or like 10 bucks or whatever but once 20 bucks just to get into the place yeah it's insane i mean and it's like this is buffalo come on yeah i know i say that every single time i leave the line after not paying i'm like we're literally in buffalo right now i mean i love buffalo but anywhere paying 20 dollars is awful yeah i can't i can't uh i can't abide by that that's I also don't go out to the bar, so I, I guess that might help me out as well. But, uh, man, anytime you do run into that, you're like, are you shitting me right now? I mean, I'm going to be buying stuff in there. Yeah. Anyway, um, we are going over the World Juniors. Um, big news on the pronouncing names front. Um, that's coming up uh, here in a second. Let's go over kind of the, uh, I, I don't want to say like best to worst, but um, we'll go over the Czech team uh, with Yuri Kulik on it um what did you see from him he had a pretty good tournament um in seven games he had the two goals six assists um pretty dynamic at at points as well Uh, is there anything specific that was standing out to you or is it just more of the same with him uh yeah i think he really kind of played like a yuri kulik style game and i mean eight points in seven games that's pretty impressive for a player who's like technically an underage player for this tournament. I mean, really just the way the tournament set up this time around, I get like the ages and whatnot mixed up, but I mean, he's there's technically players in this that are two years older than him. So, I mean, the fact that he was able to put up those numbers and the fact that he was able to make the Czech World Junior team during the initial World Juniors back in December as a 17-year-old is pretty impressive as well. So, I think he's definitely an interesting player to watch going forward. I mean, really just with the energy he plays with. I mean, he's got a decent amount of skill, too. I guess really the only thing left with him at this point is really just seeing how dynamic of a player you could turn him into at the NHL level. I mean, all the skills there, the work rates there, all that's there. So, I mean, it's really just a developmental thing at this point. I mean, we've seen a guy like J.J. Paterka... He didn't really make this leap within the Sabres development system. He more so made this leap over in Germany. But we saw him as a guy who was more of an energy guy at the high motor with a decent shot who was able to kind of transform his game into a more well-rounded game and turn into a top prospect. So maybe we could see the same out of a guy with Yuri Kulik. I mean, he certainly has that nice skill set that could be molded into a top six forward. Yeah, before we moved on to the other two players that played uh, the Czech Republic uh, losing in the bronze uh, medal game to Sweden, we will move on to a couple of Swedes. Um, I did want to ask you, it does seem like the easiest comparison to myself was Kulik to Paterka, and you just mentioned that. I wanted to see how closely relate, like, is Paterka better at skating and Kulik has a better shot? It's, I just wanted to get the your analysis of that. Yeah, I mean, I'd say I think Kulik, just with his speed, I think he may be a slightly better skater than Paterka. I mean, Paterka has some... He, I mean, the issues with Paterka's skating, I don't really think will present too much of a problem really ever for him. But I think Kulik maybe has potential to become a bit more dynamic of a skater. And then, it, yeah, in terms of work rate, I mean, they're both they're both really hard workers out there. I mean, you really won't see... Many forwards, especially at their age, 
uh, playing against older competition really work harder out there than both Kulik and Paterka. Uh, the playmaking, I think that's something that Paterka really built this past season. So that's something where if Kulik wants to get on that level, I think he still has improvements he can make there. And the shooting, I mean, Paterka has a great shot. I think Kulik's shot could be a little bit better. But I mean, really, you're dealing with two players here who, if developed properly, if used properly at the NHL level, you're getting two guys that are just an absolute pain to play against, can do some fun stuff offensively, and could really help fill out that Sabres lineup in the future. I love it. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's that's what you mentioned, the um, expansion of the playmaking with Paterka is something, obviously, you know, you've seen from people around his age. Um, but when you saw JJ do it in the AHL with Rochester, that's when people were like, okay, we got something here. Um, and that's yeah. essentially what people would hopefully see. Uh, we will be going over uh, pretty much a lot of a lot of Rochester stuff today. Um, so let's quickly move on to the two guys that played for Sweden. Uh, they ended up winning the bronze medal. Um, Isaac Rosine and Linus, or Linus, however you want to pronounce it. And uh, this is the big news. Uh, Hodin. Spelled yep, S just J that now. <laughs> D I N, but pronounced Hodine. He was the seventh round pick of this latest draft. Um, Rosine, seven games played, four goals, one assist. Uh, Hodine, seven games played, one goal, zero assists. Um, what did you see out of those two guys? Probably mostly Isaac Rosine, but um, did you see Hodine out there as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, Hodine had a pretty quiet tournament. I mean, he did score a goal in the bronze medal game against the Czech Republic. That was his only point in the tournament. And he actually did get a decent amount of ice time. I believe he got actually got more total minutes than Isaac Rosine somehow. I mean, that's a story uh, of Isaac Rosine, though. Like, everyone yeah. <laughs> gets more minutes than him for some reason. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's really the thing with Rosine. I mean, this tournament, uh, Rosine finished... Uh, he had five points in seven games. Four of those were goals. Uh, two of those goals actually came in the power play. And, yeah, you could definitely tell his shooting ability is fantastic. Uh, I mean, that's something that stood out about his game when the Sabres drafted him, and it looks to still be there now. I mean, honestly, with, like, his lack of ice time last season and his injury, we really didn't know if that shooting ability was still there. But, I mean, it's still there. So, I think the thing with Rosine that, I find a little concerning is like it doesn't seem like it's just like one team that doesn't trust him with throwing him out there at five on five it seems like it's literally every team he's on so i mean he's either the unluckiest player in the world or there's something that coaches see with his overall game that they don't like i mean it's obvious at this point that he's not the biggest player uh looks like he added some more size to his frame but he's still like last year he was playing pro hockey at 5'11 and 163 pounds so i think there's still there's still a lot there that's intriguing as a skill player but i think there's also some parts of his game like that are a little concerning like really just the fact that he doesn't really have that full package game yet and it's still unclear if that skill level is high enough for him to be a top six nhler and if he's not a top six nhler what role do you find for a guy like this? And that's still the question I have with Isaac Rosine. Uh, I know he's still young. He literally just turned 19 in March. Uh, he's still eligible for the World Juniors next year. So, I mean, there's still a lot of time for him to continue to grow as a player. Uh, he'll obviously be, hopefully, be healthy this season compared to last year. And uh, it's still a bit unclear where he'll be playing next season. Uh, he could be down in Rochester, but I believe he also has an international opt-out clause. So if he does not make the Sabres, he still has the choice to return to his club back in Sweden. So I guess that will be a situation to keep an eye on on training camp. I mean, he probably won't make the Sabres now. So it's going to be interesting to see where he plays next year and how his game continues to progress. I, I, I would just assume the best thing for him would to be playing in Rochester, right? Like going back to the team that yeah. was like struggling I mean, to get you ice time. I mean, like, yeah, he might he might struggle to get some ice time in Rochester too at, at points. Maybe there's a game or two where Appert's like, hey man, like you just 
we want you to take this in from the press box. It's your first year, like still a little bit smaller. The AHL can be a little rough. There's three games in three days kind of thing. Um, so maybe he's not playing every single game either, but like I just have to assume that they, they would rather have him, you know, 90 minutes down the road than, you know, overseas and they have no idea when he's going to be playing next. And, you know, hopefully he gets loaned out to, to the Elsfenskin. I think I said that correctly, which um, I'd like to pat myself on the bat for, back for. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I would assume that he would stay here in Rochester. Him going back would be a bit of a surprise to me. But Yeah, at the same I time, mean, it's – yeah, because at this point, I believe his opt-out cause is up to him. So I guess we'll see what he wants. But I know, like, a lot of the European guys are like, I'd rather be home than – Taking yeah. a bus to Binghamton. Yeah, so, I, I mean, mean, I can't blame. It's him up to the that. Sabres to convince him. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't blame him for that. Really, I mean, that was kind of like the same thing. Where like, remember when Johan Larson didn't get signed, and they're like, "We'll just sign him yeah. to a two-way contract." And I'm like, "You, th- you yeah. think he wants to? <laughs> you he wants to go through that again? No, you would rather just go home." Um, yeah, maybe he wants to stay home, get some you know home cooked meals or quote unquote home cooked meals. I'm assuming he's not exactly living at home um swedish food yeah exactly swedish food um there's not much of that here i mean i don't think there's much of that anywhere outside of sweden honestly (laughs) uh, at ikea Uh, ikea IKEA. yeah so there you go (laughs) that's that's where you can grab some some swedish food so um there's the world juniors um we will be getting back to kind of like the rochester situation a couple other tidbits of information that came out ryan johnson finally i guess made his decision to go back to minnesota I'm sure like the Sabres tried to do everything they kind of could within reason to get him to sign. And that's why it took so long, I guess. I don't know, but it just, I don't know. It seemed, it seemed yeah. odd it took him that long just to decide, yeah, I'm going back. But um, one, what did you make of the decision? Do you think he should have signed? Um, I, I mean, we've talked at nauseum why he wouldn't, but do you think he should have signed for his, his own career? Um, and do you have, I mean, we've talked about this as well, but do you even think he signs after his senior year? It's definitely going to be interesting. I mean, I know we kind of turn into like a conspiracy show with Ryan Johnson. I mean, we've always had a ton of theories on him. We really do. Yeah. I mean, I think I mean, I think some of these theories are honestly could be true. I mean, because he still hasn't signed yet. And I do know that a new thing that kind of unfolded since this summer was that his dad, Craig Johnson, he was a longtime NHL for the LA Kings. He actually just signed with the Anaheim Ducks on their NHL coaching staff as an assistant coach. He used to be with LA's AHL team last season as an assistant, but now he's up at the NHL level of Anaheim. So that kind of throws a new thing into the fold for the Ryan Johnson situation because he obviously grew up in Anaheim uh, from Irvine, California, which is right around the corner. So he could go home and play for his dad in the NHL. That's definitely an option for him. And the weather there is a little bit nicer too. <laughs> and there's also maybe a little bit more opportunity for him on that blue line. Cause uh, like we all know, he's a left-handed defenseman and the Sabres have two first overall picks on the left side of that defense. So there's a lot of opportunity for him elsewhere. And the fact that he still hasn't signed yet and he said he was going to use this development camp as like a chance to get used to the organization and he's still undecided, I feel like that's just a major, major red flag that he's not going to sign here. Yeah, I mean, I've come to terms, and I'm not one of those like doomers that says like, oh, he's, he's automatically gone. It was the same thing with Portillo. I've just come to the th- to realize if you're going back for your senior season, I'm assuming you're gone. If you come, great. That's awesome. But I'm just going to, just for the sake of, you know, my own, like, mental piece of it is, yeah, you're gone. Like, if you're going back for your senior season, unless, like, you're, like, a late-round pick, like, kind of like a Linus Weisbach, where you're like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, he's, it's not like he's going to be getting pulled or whatever. This is a this is a guy that was technically drafted in the first round, even if he was a high second-round pick, which, if that's what you want to call the, the late first round, then go for it. I mean, I, I just think he's gone, and I wouldn't, I mean, in a sense, I would blame him, in a, where it's just like, I'm sure they offered you something pretty nice, but at the same time, look at all the things you just mentioned. And you get one yeah. hockey career. I mean, do you want to have it 
across the country from where you grew up, uh, you know, having to play behind guys like Darlene and Power. I mean, it makes sense. So um, it would be awesome if you signed. That would be great. You would be an awesome top six defenseman. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, it seems like that might uh, that might not be happening. But there is something good on the signing front. Um, and I would actually like to apologize to this guy for calling him the wrong first name on our, I think our last podcast, Tyson, <laughs> not Tyler, Tyson Kozak. I was thinking of Tyler Bozak. Um, he signed his entry level deal. We did, uh, discover that he would have to go back to Portland. Um, so he will not be, uh, going to Rochester probably won't be making the Sabres either. So yeah, definitely going back to Portland. Um, but when anytime you're able to sign a sev- seventh round pick from last year's draft, um, I know you turned heads at Dev Camp. Uh, I can I know I can speak on his behalf. Jared um, was at Dev Camp for uh, TCB, and he said Kozak was impressive. Um, again, it's just development camp, but um, you know it's it's nice to see someone that soon in the seventh round get an entry level deal signed. And uh, just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on. The signing was it too soon? What are your think thoughts on the player? Um, what kind of future do you think he might have? Just wanted to uh, run down everything about him. Yeah, I mean, I know our prospect guys at TCB, uh, uh, like Curtis and Austin, they're two guys that just love Tyson Kozak and even Michael Pekka. They interviewed him at development camp. Yep. He said that Kozak's the first guy all their development staff talks about whenever they visit Rochester uh, to talk about uh, the prospects they have over in junior hockey I'm so i'm sorry to interrupt but he i'm pretty sure pekka said he was like he reminds us of like a top three round guy yeah he said that as well which is amazing for a seventh round pick and yeah the fact that seventh round pick got a contract to you this early on is also awesome uh at least they don't have another uh brandon hagel situation no. on their hands with kozak but <laughs> yeah i mean I, I, look he, who knows? Maybe Kevin Adams. I mean, like that's not. He's like, well, this is what happened, so I have to do the opposite. That's not how he functions. Obviously, I'd be kind of yeah. crazy. But like, I'm sure there was like three percent of him. He was like, well, I mean, this guy just did get dealt to Tampa at the deadline for a first round pick. I mean, might as well <laughs> if we if we have any kind of inkling that this guy can be a player, let's go ahead and get him under contract. One, he's going back to Portland. Two, you can have him in Rochester for a couple of years. Yeah, that. I mean, like. And and if who knows maybe Tyson Kozak is only an AHL player. Well, you need those too. You need those too. You yeah. Need, you need good players to to play on your 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 team in Rochester. And look at all the injuries that happen on in the NHL. I mean, at some point he could he could end up uh, in a Sabres uniform. So I know I interrupted, but just kind of keep going on his you know skill set and exactly what he could bring, what he might need to work on, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's definitely an interesting prospect. I, I know he's someone that really didn't jump out too much production-wise when the Sabres drafted him, but he's just he's just like a, just one of those other like high-energy guys that the Sabres seem to be after, and he's really kind of just a puck-supporting center, which is obviously something you'd want to see in a young prospect. Like, if this guy's not like the main guy on any line at the junior level like if he's able to play that complimentary game now i mean that's great for his development and the coaching staff obviously loves all the individual skill stuff they see with him so i think the skill level with him is honestly maybe a bit underrated compared to where his production is now i think with a team like portland next season they lost some key pieces but they, they've got some interesting young guys on that team and kozak should be probably their key offensive player during the next season, and he's a captain of the Portland Winterhawks too. So I think there's great potential for him to really put up numbers next year. I mean, kind of like a guy we see with Brandon Hagel. He obviously did it a little bit later in his WHL career, but he had that one season of just crazy production after really just like good to average production. Yeah. So I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that out of Kozak this year, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's a guy who shoots up uh, the prospect rankings. Is he? I mean, like, look, it's Team Canada. It's really tough. Is there any chance that he would it, would he even be eligible to play at the World Juniors? Um, he misses a cutoff by three days. That's so, such a bummer. Yeah. Oh, it's because so he is, he's, he's close. His, his birthday is December 29th, two thousand two. Yeah. Um, so he's nineteen right now. The reason he can't go to Rochester, I believe, the cutoff is what September first or thirtieth. 
It's some because I believe oh, Quinn was eligible for Rochester even without like the new rules in place last year. But gotcha. yeah, it's he he def, he just misses the cutoff for two different things. So, but yeah, I think really just with Portland next year, I think he's got a great opportunity there to really continue to develop his game because I mean, there's obviously a lot of stuff there to work with at this point. It's all just taking that next step and becoming a more productive player at that level and we're gonna get a really good look at him during the sabers uh prospects challenge it's actually coming up in just a few weeks uh right at the mm-hmm. harbor center i'd imagine kozak's gonna have a pretty significant role there yeah and it seems like the the guys uh you know like development staff which is probably going to or like you know guys rochester staff as well um are going to be the guys behind the bench and creating the lineups there and i'm assuming they're gonna you know rely on them heavily uh, based on what they've said publicly about him. Um, I mean, at this point, we can kind of assume... I mean, Well, did, have they even mentioned who won't be playing in that? Um, I know that they said they were actually going to try to get like a decent amount of their prospects to play in it, yeah. but are, are we talking like, you know, Quinn Paterka Power, guys like that? I'm, I'm not exactly sure if I've, I've seen stuff. I'm just trying to think of this on the spot. Yeah, it's... Because there's never a clear guideline. I mean, the one thing we do know is that there's never any NCAA players because they're probably in school right now, honestly. And there's never any Europe players because, I mean, obviously they're playing their uh, preseason games right now for their league. So really anyone that's currently in North America not playing college hockey is fair game. But in terms of guys that age out, like Power was at Dev Camp this summer. But, I mean, yeah, a like, guy like him, it's still a little bit unclear if they'll use him in this tournament because uh, I know there are guys they had at the development camp this summer that will probably not be playing in that Prospects Challenge, like guys like Krebs, mm-hmm. no one expects Samuelson. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see who they actually do use. But And Savoy, too, he's got that injury. So yep. we'll see if he's fully recovered by then. I imagine he is. So. It sounded Even like he if, was close at dev camp. It sounded yeah. like he was close, and they were just like being a, just you know not overly cautious, but just cautious and and you know as they should be. Yeah, and we know we know Yuri Kulik's going to be there now because it sounds like he'll be in Rochester. So I mean, yeah. their their forward group for that tournament is just going to be loaded. The defense and goaltending is going to be a little thin. Uh, I do know they had the Czech goalie for this past World Junior tournament. Uh, he was actually an invite uh, to be one of the Sabres goalies for this tournament. So we know he'll be in the mix. But yeah, really, they don't have a goalie currently in their system. He's not in Europe or in the NCAA. Uh, so that's they. this team could live or die by the goaltending in this tournament. I mean, it's a short tournament, so goaltending could matter a lot. Hey, you just uh, you just got to win 6-7. Or yeah, you just win I mean, six, that's seven. the goal. You just have to win 7-6, excuse me. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, Hey, that's an exciting brand of hockey that Don Granada is looking for. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't blame him. Um, but that's for watching your prospects, you know, getting like six goals dumped on them. You're just like, Oh God. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Even if you are scoring seven. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about Rochester. Um, you mentioned Quinn, we mentioned Paterko. Do you start them in Rochester to start this season to play with, Rosine, assuming he he stays, to play with Kulik, to play with Kisikov, to play with Rusek, um, all of these guys that are just starting their North American careers, or what we assume are all starting their careers, uh, North American careers there. Um, do you keep Quinn and Paterka down there? Um, do you put like a feisty guy like Casey Fitzgerald down there to, you know, someone tries to take a run at a young guy? got Casey Fitzgerald who's more proven that he's more than willing to go drop the gloves with anyone I mean what's your thoughts thought process on how they might want to build out Rochester because at this point Quinn and Paterka you're probably I mean maybe they can put Quinn in the top six but they're probably going to be bottom six forwards for a little bit do you wait until unfortunately and uh an injury happens or you know maybe you know someone's catches a cold or something like that you know players have kids and kids are just running around schools getting getting colds maybe some guys just not feeling well and they need to call some up stuff like that um, to begin the season and then you know at some point guys like Quinn and Paterka will probably 
play well enough where people were like, all right, it's time to call them up and start really calling for it. But I just wanted to get your thought process on um, if you were Kevin Adams, what would you do? I mean, if I was Kevin Adams, I'd absolutely bring them up. I'd probably honestly put them in bigger roles than they may actually be put in to start the year. I mean, I just think they're that good. I mean, really with comparing their production to like past players in the AHL, the reason why there's not a lot of guys with like that sample size with great production is because guys that score that much down there just don't stay down there. They're too good for that level, especially if they're scoring that much at that age. So in my mind, I'd absolutely put Quinn and Paterka on the Sabres and I put them in as big of a role as possible. Um, obviously give them a bit of insulation in terms of their line mates. Uh, but yeah, I just, I just bring them up to the big team in terms of what I think the Sabres will do. I, I could see, I can maybe see one of them not making the team, but I have a hard time thinking both, seeing yeah. both of them being sent down just because they currently have on their roster right now. So if they have like kind of like all the basic guys we expect to be up there, they would have 13 forwards, not including uh, Quinn and Paterka. Right. And that's thinking that Shahan is up with a big club. Mm. So unless like a guy like Rob, unless they carry eight defensemen and only 13 forwards, or unless like a guy like Brandon Biro or like Brett Murray or someone goes off at camp, I just have a hard time seeing them not making the roster because I think there's competition within the Sabres lineup, but in that middle part of between like Rochester and Buffalo and that forward group, I don't think they have much competition to win out a final spot. So I think my prediction is they'll both be starting in the Sabres opening up lineup come October. Okay. And you think they will be you they're not gonna be in suits when they're they're announcing the team that first night. You think yeah. they're gonna be in uniform on the ice playing? I think I think so because I feel like if they don't make that starting twelve, like I don't think that thirteenth or fourteenth forward spot is even an option for them. I think they don't make that starting twelve, they'd be sent back down to uh, Rochester. Yeah, I mean that thirteenth forward spot is uh, Anders Bjork's spot, dude. Don't yeah, you don't you touch that freaking yeah, it's a special <laughs> spot. Don't you touch his freaking spot? Okay, that's his spot. <laughs> No, so um, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what I was assuming as well, but um, just kind of going based off the the players that are joining. Oh, uh, I forgot Philip Cedarquist as well. Um, I don't think he played on on Rochester last season, so there's another. Oh uh, yeah, he's is, a new. Yeah, he's he's joining. Forgot as well. about him. Yeah, yeah, surprise. Um, who else? I'm just kind of looking down their their roster here. Got Lucas Rusek. I think he could have a breakout year. I, I really like him as a player, and mm-hmm. he started he started producing once he got a little bit healthy after his surgery. So I think he's a guy who could have a really big role down there this year. Really big, yeah. I I agree. I think Brandon Byro could also you know have a a bit of a breakout and start seeing yeah, some he's really solid like some top six minutes and stuff like that. I mean, he got called up to the Sabers. I mean, they obviously like him internally, so they're going to try to give him some opportunity as well. Um, as they should. Yeah, he's a good player. So, um, yeah, I think the main thing with Rochester is I don't think they're going to like some of the projected lines I've seen are like just all kid lines. Like that line <laughs> would get at they probably end up in all end up in the hospital in <laughs> by the end of the night. I mean, chances are those guys will be playing with like Mersh or like Malone or some veteran. Yeah, yeah and absolutely. they just be spread throughout the lineup. But like five eleven. 163 pounds at at Across 19 years old in the AHL is like dangerous. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that that was actually something you know. That's why I mentioned Fitzgerald. I was looking at Michael Mersh as well. They have Matei Picard. Um, you know, he's a, a bottom six forward. But yeah, he's he's, a, he, he's yeah. fearless. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, you don't need to be the biggest person. You just need to know, like, if you do something out here, someone's going to come after you. It doesn't matter what happens. It's just you know. Unless you're gonna beat the wheels off of them, which I don't know, I feel like that's happened to Picard once or twice. But at the same time, yeah, he's one of, he's one a of lot. Well. Yeah, I mean, look, look, I mean, he's he's willing to step up, and it's more than a yeah. lot are willing to do. So I'll give him credit there. Um, I think that's pretty much. I mean, we're we're gonna talk about a couple other Rochester players, I guess. Um, but I think that's pretty much it for the you know, just talking about the Amherst in general. And I wanted to move on to. Um, the scale of one to ten, one being I don't care, 
Doesn't matter. Ten being hair on fire. What? Uh, it's like a pressure meter. How much pressure is this player on? And I wanted to throw out some names, kind of see what you had to feel. Um, I wanted to maybe compare that to anyone that's listening, kind of see what they uh, think about the situation. Um, start first with Air Comrie. So how much pressure is on him this season, 1-10? to 10? I'll go with just a middle-of-the-pack five for him. I think there's less pressure because uh, he signed a multi-year deal. I mean, it's obviously only two years, but it's better than just one year. And I think he's finally getting a chance to be an NHL starter. So I think on that fact alone, he's probably almost like relieved a little bit that he gets the chance. But I mean, obviously there's inherent pressure with that starting job, but I'll go five with him just because I think he also at the same time has just a great opportunity to show that he's the real deal. If he is in fact the real deal. Okay. Yeah. I would, I would say about five. I mean, you know, they, they wanted to give him an opportunity, but I think we all knew he wasn't, you know, like some grand savior. It's not like they, you know, are bringing in like a John Gibson, and we're like, all right, this yeah. is guy, um, you know. So I think five is is fair, you know. Assuming, at least I'm assuming, he's going to be, you know, the the locked in starter for the season. Um, you know, does carry some pressure because I've said before, and I'll say it again. I think this season will ride not all on, but you know, pretty heavily on the goaltending situation. If they can get some good goaltending, they might. Again, I. I I think they'll just be in the conversation for the last wild card spot. We'll kind of see what goes on there. Uh, the Islanders made zero moves um, in this <laughs> offseason. Like, by the <laughs> Lou Lamorella signed no dudes. I thought, everyone thought they were getting Kadri for a little they bit. They traded that crazy high pick for Romanoff. That was insane. Yeah, that was weird. I don't understand that at all. How's that the only move you make all offseason? <laughs> yeah, well, that's – and again, I mean, they. I, I understand that they had to go on the, like that crazy road trip to begin their last season. And it's not going to happen again. It was because what their arena wasn't ready or whatever. But yeah, like they didn't. It was a rough showing for them. So I don't know. Maybe it was just a yeah. Year and, and they had some injuries that I just wasn't aware of. I'm sure you know, some Islanders fans stumbled onto this podcast and still listening at this point. Um, <laughs> you know, go ahead and, and call me out on that. Um, all right. So going back to our list here, I don't want to get too sidetracked here. Tage Thompson, 38 goals last season. Scale 1 to 10, how much pressure's on him to follow up that campaign? I'm going to go 7 here. I'd go a little bit higher if he didn't have his last season, but I think the fact that he did have that 30-goal season at some point during his contract negotiations will certainly help. But, I mean, I think the pressure's certainly on for him because he still hasn't signed that new contract yet. So, I mean, we're talking about maybe tens of millions of dollars in terms of the complete contract are at stake yep. during this season. I mean, if he has another 38 goal season, maybe a 40 goal season, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets that Josh Norris contract. We saw Ottawa sign this off season where it's pretty much like seven, eight years at 8 million. So I think there's a lot at stake for Thompson this year in terms of his like own financials, but uh, yeah, definitely a guy that's going to be, exciting to watch to see if he could replicate what he did last year i'm gonna go with nine. Oh I'm wow gonna with, i'm gonna go with nine because no matter what happens someone's going to have pressure on them yeah if, if he flops i mean it's a huge disappointment for the sabers <laughs> they probably don't do as well but at yeah. the same time he's making what 1.6 million dollars a year you're trying to re-up him and like you said if he goes off you have to pay him a lot more money so if he's not doing well, ton of pressure on Thompson. If he is doing well, it's a lot of pressure on Kevin Adams. So I'm going nine just because no matter what happens, there's pressure on someone. And it's yeah. I'm really interested to see how he plays this season because that's it's not it's not a Jeff Skinner situation where he's locked in no matter what happens. This is a contract year. He's making one point six million dollars. <laughs> he is looking for an upgrade. And again, it's you we love and support these players. Never expect them to take a hometown get discount. Just don't expect yeah. it. If they do, that's great. Don't expect it, and I don't. So my that that's a nine to me. Um, I don't know if I'm. I, I would like to say eight point five, but we're not doing that. So I'm going nine. Um, <laughs> Rasmus Dahlin is our next one. Um, addition of Owen Power. 
proud, like looking like you are the number one defenseman. You are the number one defenseman. You were that last year, but this year, hundred percent, you are the guy. Yes, you have another guy on the back end, but he's he's a rookie. How much pressure's on Darlene? I'm going to go seven just because he still has this year and next year remaining on his contract. Mm -hmm. So he still has a little bit of runway left to turn things around. And I also think that adding Owen Power, it seemed to almost like reinvigorate Darlene's game last season. I mean, obviously they didn't play that much together, but like having both guys out there is almost like the Harlem Globetrotters or something where you like (laughs) try to do something more impressive than the guy that was just out there. So I think, I think Darlene, I think if the vibes are good heading into the season, if he doesn't start off slow, I think there's definitely potential for him to have a pretty good season. But obviously that pressure is just always hanging over his head of that slow start. I mean, we've seen it the past two seasons where he literally looks like he forgot how to play hockey. So I think there's definitely a lot of internal pressure on Rasmus Darlene. So that's why I'll give it a seven. But... It's not a 10 because I think the vibes are good and he still has a bit of runway left. Yeah, and I think I think they like, I mean, from all things that I've heard behind the scenes, like he's like a good kid too. And I, I, I assume that they really like the person, Rasmus Dahlin. So I'll probably yeah. go with like a six because, I mean, I would assume they still see the value. And even if he doesn't absolutely pop off or he does have a slow start, I think they still see a, a, a good value in him. And I just... I can't imagine after his contract for them, he's going to be an RFA. I mean, they're going to re-up him for at least another couple of years, I would think. So, um, yeah, I mean, like if he really tanks, yeah, of course, it's going to, you know, obviously raise the the pressure on him. But um, I would, you know, five, six in that area. You know, obviously it's going to be pressure being a number one defenseman, first overall pick, stuff like that. But um, he's also like in Buffalo and he flies under the radar. So it's just, you know, yeah. that external pressure. I'm sure he puts a ton of pressure on himself. And, you know, internally they don't, you know, set him down like, hey, you know, this is all on you. But at the same time, just, the, you know, the way they deploy him and stuff like that, they are putting a lot of pressure on him, and as they should. Um, you know, you got to see if he's a number one defenseman or not. So um, that's fair for, for Rasmus Dahlin. Let's go straight to Owen Power. How much pressure is on him? I'm going to go, like, one for Owen Power yeah. just because – I think he definitely has the pressure on him where if he like just comes out and plays awful and it's like highly concerning as a first overall pick, but it doesn't seem like he has that much like media attention around him compared to your typical first round pick. I mean, even last year when he's playing, yeah, like when he's in Michigan last year, it's like Sabres have a first overall pick prospect playing hockey, but I mean, he's like barely covered by almost any media source last year in Buffalo. So I think that he's kind of flying under the radar a bit, and he was so good in his eight-game sample that I don't think his game will have an issue translating the NHL level, and really anything he does that's average or above average is seen as a positive, so I'm going a one here. That's that's where I'm at, too. I mean, it just doesn't... I mean, it's a, it's a rookie. I mean, yeah, first yeah. overall pick doesn't matter. I mean, no pressure if stumbles out of the gates you just give him a little less time maybe you need to you know throw him in the in the press box just to give him a, a different perspective I'm not gonna worry about that too much he just he seemed like I can't imagine that he's gonna look or seem overwhelmed but if he is I mean he's a he's a smart kid you know he's been playing good hockey all of his life he, he'll figure it out I mean he just he looks mature beyond his year so I just can't even imagine it so I'm just gonna go with one as well um this one, this one's probably not going to be a one. Casey Middlestat. Casey Middlestat. Yeah. How much? How much pressure uh, things on him? This one, I'm probably. I mean, if there is a ten, I feel like Casey Middlestat could be the ten. Yep. Uh, really, he's just got so many players at his heels right now. I mean, like Krebs they've used in the center position. I mean, Cousins they've used a lot in the center position. I mean, Middlestat they've even flexed out to they, the wing sometimes. Yeah, and but... like, they've used like Quinn. I mean, yeah, granted it was in Rochester, yeah, Quinn but they've used him too. at center, yeah. Yeah, and like even if you put Middlestat out to wing, like even Quinn comes up in that situation mm-hmm. again, then you're dealing with Quinn, Paterka, Skinner, all those guys in that competition. So, 
I think he really has to show that he could be a solid middle six contributor if he wants to stick around here because I know he still has one year left on his contract after this upcoming season. But he's just a guy that could easily be trade bait if he struggles to find a role in the middle of the Sabres lineup. And I don't know if his trade value would be anything crazy if he does struggle, be more so just moving out the roster spot type of thing for like maybe a more effective uh, bottom six player, like a guy designed for that. But the pressure's certainly on for him. I mean, he's got an opportunity to either start producing, uh, playing on a line that actually works, like getting good fun wingers on his line and actually scoring or struggling in that role and being pushed into the press box. So just a wide variety of outcomes for his upcoming season. I know I mentioned it on another episode but i'm going to mention it again i believe it was andrew peters if it wasn't it was craig revey it was one of those two earlier this summer they were talking it was before olsen signed his deal or whatever and there was like potential talks about the sabers it was before the draft and trades and stuff like that there was apparently a player on the sabers that was very concerned about getting traded now it was just my theory and that's what we do here we're like a conspiracy theory show apparently at this point um but I came to the conclusion it was either Olofsson or Middlestat. And considering Olofsson signed, I, I think it was Casey Middlestat that was genuinely concerned he was getting moved this summer. Or or at least had a a real concern that it was a possibility. I don't maybe he wasn't like, Oh, I'm definitely getting moved. It was a oh crap, yeah. I could real I could get moved. Um and I like he's friends with a lot of these younger guys, cousins. Um, Darlene, I'm sure he's gotten along with other guys. They were roommates. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm sure he doesn't want to go. And like you said, he's got a bunch of people nipping at his heels. Um, I I think, like you said, it's a 10 for Casey Middlestat. Um, I wish him the best, obviously. I want him to, to do really well. It's I actually, he was, he was the one that scored the overtime goal for RJ's last game ever. And yep. you know, that's, that's something that, you know, no one can ever take away from him. Um, I still like him as a player. There's obviously certain limitations there, but at the same time, I think, especially, I just, I still feel horrible for him with his injury issues last year. First game gets injured, comes yeah. back <laughs> like three, four games in, injures three it again. Injuries. It's just, oh, I feel really bad for him. Um, and that's that's kind of that that in itself probably just added the pressure, um, you know, and and it wasn't his fault. So. We'll see what happens with uh, Casey Millsat. See kind of how they utilize them, and you know maybe if they need to get some ice time for someone else, like a Vinny Henestrosa or a Andres Bjork. God, uh, God forbid. But um, you know maybe he's the one that goes down. We'll see. Um, that's going to be something that we'll actually talk about in a second because we will be talking about the coach. But so on the players, pressure on Henry Yoki. How are you? How much? Uh, how much do you think is on him? I think I'd go eight with Yoki Haru just because he's still relatively young. I mean, he's still only 23 years old. And uh, like Middlestat, I mean, they pretty much have identical contracts. He's still got a year left on his deal. So I, yeah, I'd go eight with Yoki Haru really just because he was not good last season. I mean, he really was someone that struggled in the Sabres' new system. And seemingly became worse in like everything across the board. So, and he may even get pushed out of his power play role that he saw for some of last season with a guy like Power coming in. So I'll go eight for him. Uh, he really just has to be. The reason it's not a ten is because he really just has to be just like an average guy. I mean, he's a right-handed defenseman. Sabers don't have a lot of those. As long as he could just be a break-even player at every aspect of the game, I feel like he'd have no issues signing a bit longer term with here in the future but with where he is leaving off after last season there's definitely going to be pressure on him uh in regards to bouncing back this upcoming season said it once i'll say it again he is a high floor low ceiling player show that you can be a top six defenseman that's fine if you want to be if he's going to be your your third pairing right-handed defenseman just show us you can do that last year was tough you know some of the situations he was put in you know not not great, but hopefully they have you know guys that can play with Darlene and Power now. Um, I would assume. I would, I, who do you think? Who would he even play with on the on the third pairing? I mean, maybe like a Bryson, something like that. Yeah, um, they used him. In, 
They used him in a variety of roles. I mean, yeah. it's going to be interesting how they use him next year. I mean, they used him with power a lot to end the season. I mean, another option they have is if they find another partner for Darlene or someone works well with him, they could even move Matias Samuelson down to his left-hand side. But, yeah, it's like if he's a break-even guy, that's the thing. They could literally use him wherever because, mm-hmm. like, the left-handed defensemen are so good that he'd literally just have to – have like a net neutral impact, just make smart plays with the puck and he'd have a role. But if he struggles, it's like you just wouldn't want him with Dalinar Power if he struggles. I still believe in him as a player, but when it comes to the player and the system meshing together, that's where, like you said, he struggled with it. And we'll see. Um, I definitely think there's there's a decent amount of pressure on him. Um, let's kind of tone it back a bit. Because this guy, I mean, if it's not a one, it's something real, real close down there. Alex Tuck, how much pressure's on him this season? Yeah, I think, yeah, I'd probably go one here. I mean, he's kind of just really already built up a great, like, reputation among the fans. And uh, he was really good last year. And I just can't really envision a scenario where he's really struggling. I mean, maybe some... Maybe he gets a little bit unlucky with the puck next year, and that would constitute struggling, but he just plays so hard all the time. They found such a great role for him at the top of the Sabres lineup, and he's still signed for a few more years for cheap. So, yeah, I think pretty much pressure-free for him next year. And especially, I think, just with the understanding, yes, he did. He He had both. He had a time where he was scoring, getting a lot of points, both assists and goals, and then he went through like a really bad dry spell. And I think that's just kind yeah. of kind of what you're getting with him. But he does bring more than just the if he's not scoring, he doesn't do anything else. And so I think the pressure is is real low for him. Um, I, I don't wow, this is not a great segue of saying like you know if you don't score, you don't do anything else because there are plays where he's super effective on the forecheck. But Jeff Skinner to repeat what he did last season. He finally broke out after having those two rough seasons, uh, one of which he was trapped on the fourth freaking line. All right, we're not going into that right now. Um, but what do you think? It's it's kind of like the, the Tage Thompson situation, except not dealing with a contract where he, like he's already set in stone. So how much pressure is on Jeff Skinner to try to replicate what he did last season? I'm probably going to go four. I mean, I think there's maybe some risk because his finishing ability has always been a bit of a roller coaster at the NHL level. But, I mean, he won't have to deal with the system change. He's going to the same coach that loves playing rush-style hockey, and he's always pounces on opportunities in rush-based offenses. I mean, his contract, like you said, I mean, he's still got five years left on that deal, making $9 million per deal, so he doesn't have to, like, he could score, like, negative two goals next year he's still making the same amount of money he's just firing oysters over air comrie's yeah. shoulder <laughs> just scoring on himself yeah and yeah so i mean yeah with that contract yeah i'll go four because i mean there's probably production on him just in terms of like i just like being like all oh, this guy's contract is awful because look at his season like i mean that obviously happened under kruger where kind of like the entire league was looking at him and Seeing that he got scratched and he kind of faced criticism from that, I mean, even he though he faced was, criticism from a yeah. guy in the penalty box yelling at him, "How did you get that contract?" Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it's like, man, how'd you get? I'm chirping you over making forty-five million dollars these next five years. <laughs> that was that was hilarious. It's like, how did you get that contract? It's like, I mean, wouldn't you want to sign that too, pal? Oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, that's why you never get mad at the players for getting as much money as they can. You know, I don't really blame the team for lowballing, and I don't blame the the players were highballing it's hilarious when you go to those arbitration things though and the team's like and he's like a one million dollar player and he's like well i think i'm a six million dollar player it's like all right guys a little yeah. bit closer please um there's so much drama is caused by those arbitration <sighs> things between the parties it's like you're okay. just supposed to diss each side <laughs> yeah it's it's like the the world's worst rap battle ever um <laughs> anyway let's move on to a couple other players is where uh a couple of Rochester players, I guess you can technically call them. UPL, how much pressure is on him? Um, actually going to add in uh, J.J. Paterka and Jack Quinn. All three of those players, how much pressure is on them? Uh, UPL, I'll probably go like seven or eight. Uh, I mean, I know he'll probably start the year in Rochester, and Rochester is just garbage for goaltending with like the rush-based offense they play. But 
I think the pressure's on for when that opportunity opens up at the NHL level to see if he can solidify that role and maybe stick up there long term. I mean, the issue is that Comrie is obviously not being sent down. Anderson's a veteran presence, so I have a hard time seeing him move out. So maybe if UPL impresses, they could carry three goalies. But I'll yeah, I'll go seven or eight there just because I don't think he's I still don't think he's gonna get that opportunity yet, which is crazy. And then uh if we hop on a Paterka and Quinn, I'll probably go seven for both those guys. Uh just because they had such a great AHL season last year the expectations for them are almost too high. So I think if they do struggle a bit at the NHL level, it's obviously not a big deal in my mind, but it may be a bigger deal in terms of fan perception because I think a lot of people expect them to come in right away and just improve the Sabres an insane amount. I mean, I've seen a lot of discourse among Sabres fans being like, this team's going to improve. X amount of points, like 20 points or 10 points because of adding two 20-year-old forwards. So, I mean, the pressure is on for them in that regard, but I don't think it should be. Yeah, I don't think it should be either. Uh, Would you agree that, especially last year, but past couple years, stuff like that, but last year, the competition of the AHL was sub- par in the sense of like what we think of the AHL, like, oh, you know, last year was really, like, think of a lockout year. You know, lockout year, that is way above par because a lot of guys just end up, you know, what happened yeah. the last lockout where a bunch of guys started playing for Rochester. Subpar was COVID years, obviously, because you're playing against like some ECHL. Like half the Amherst roster at one point was an ECHL team. I don't know if that was last year or the year before, but like what would you say it was subpar? And that's why it's like, okay, well, yeah, they put up a ton of points, but just remember the competition they were playing against was a little bit below average for the AHL. Is that something you would agree with? Oh, yeah, I think, I mean, I think definitely. I mean, if you look at, like, the AHL historic scoring stats for players their age the past, like, 10 or so years, like, past 15 years, a ton of guys at the top of that list are actually playing the AHL last season. And uh, some people may forget, too, I mean, there are still taxi squads for a decent chunk of last year's AHL season. And during that time where there are a ton of COVID cases, there were teams that were playing goalies and really players that were playing like the SPHL, like leagues like that, just to fill in a spot. So there's definitely a weird HL year. And the fact that so many young guys produced really well that year is definitely something that would be like, let's maybe temper expectations on this, these guys. But the fact that these guys produced incredible relative to their some of their draft class peers and other yeah. younger players in the league i think is something you could take away but at the same time like saying like quinn's gonna be the next kucherov maybe a, a little much. bit too much yeah, it's a, yeah that's a bit much i mean yeah not trying to handicap them too much but just keep in mind again you know even even with subpar competition is what i guess i'm calling it um they were still I mean, those those were really good numbers. So, I mean, you should still have expectations on them, but it shouldn't be anything crazy. So, last yeah. two. Last two before we get out of here. Um, Don Granado and Kevin Adams. And I mentioned this last time. This is the, the one thing I'll say about Kevin Adams, unless you spark something else. But I said, I believe, last episode, what he's doing and what he's done is it has its challenges. But relatively to what's upcoming it's been easy again it's relative and for in that first year he had like no one with him i'm sure that was very yeah. difficult but he had ralph kruger with him yeah oh god <laughs> it's like freaking oh my god it's like trying to drive with no tires um <laughs> anyway it's that's the that's my piece with kevin adams is you have done a decent job so far but it's only going to get tougher with, you know, contracts coming up and things of that nature. So, I mean, let's just kick it back to the Tage Thompson thing. That's going to be one of the big things that's going to be weighing on him all season. Um, I would assume that they're not going to sign something mid-season um, because both parties, yeah. are, you know, Tage is going to want to try to get as many points as possible and be like, here, there's my sample size. And then the Sabres are probably going to try to, you know, I, they obviously don't want him to hope to, to be – poor but maybe they will try to sign a mid-season like okay this guy's going off right now we got to try to get him under contract or it's going to cost us another million dollars a year or something like that so 
Um, let's go with your thoughts on the pressure on Don Granado and Kevin Adams. Uh, I'd say I think Don Granado, I'll go a four. Uh, I mean, obviously, he just started there, and the players love him. But I think there may be a little bit of pressure on him uh, just because I think he's at that point where maybe he has to start turning like this rush offense and all this stuff and all the zone entries and stuff into actual chances. I mean, some of that certainly falls on the talent level of his team, but I think some of that also falls on him to implement stuff that leads to more goals and more wins and less goals against. So I'll go four there. I mean, really not that much pressure on him, but as a head coach, there's always some pressure on them because a really bad stretch of games, it would just look awful for him. What about an 18-game losing streak? Would that look bad on a coach? (laughs) If if he had that happen to him, I mean, yeah, like really no coach could survive that. So, Yeah. yeah, that's why I feel like the risk is zero with him. And then if we go over to Kevin Adams, I mean, I may honestly go like a one or two here. I mean, really just the way he set up this rebuild is that he's doing a long build. And these long builds are fantastic if you're a new GM because you're going to get a lot of time to see that this thing works out. And it appears the Sabres ownership is on board with this longer rebuild as well. And yeah, really, I mean, this season for him, it's pressure free. I mean, the team stinks. Just fire the coach. And uh, the team's bad next year. It's like, oh, we're still rebuilding. So I think he's got a lot of years left on his leash. And I think really just the culture change within the organization is remarkable. I mean, I think that's something that we didn't really expect to get out of him when they hired him. But, I mean, obviously he's been leading, uh, like, the Junior Sabres and other hockey programs for pretty much his entire post-NHL career. And that's kind of like something he added to the jam position that we haven't really seen uh he's just open to hearing everyone's ideas and the staff i mean he really opened the doors to the analytics department which is remarkable and like the fact that they hired sounds like a guy like kevin adams (laughs) yeah i mean it sounds like he really listens to his analytics staff too yeah like he really wants them involved and hearing their opinions and letting them speak their piece and that's that's a testament to him and you know what I'll give a I'll give a nice golf clap to Terry and Kim, frankly, because they they went out on the on a limb and hired what was perceived yeah. to be their, you know, their their yes man, and he's done a good job. I mean, like so far again, and there's there's still plenty to prove, and um, you know, we'll we'll kind of see how things play out, but he's done a good job. Shout out to Terry and Kim because you know what they they took a lot of flack from me from everyone else, and they stuck with their man and it's starting to to show and that's one of my favorite things they did the same thing with um you know the bills is and i've said it before i'll say it again it's the well we want someone with experience well i mean there's only going to be so many people with experience and then you're just recycling coaches and gms at that point sometimes you just have to go out on a limb and give someone their first chance and it works out really well well, it's working out pretty well for Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. It's working out pretty well for Don Granado and Kevin Adams as well. So I just wanted to put that out there. Like they they do get a ton of crap, you know, whether rightfully so or or not from me or anyone else. But for that that decision, it took some guts. Um, you know, they they took the brunt of it <laughs> publicly, but you know, I'll I'll give them a a, a nice stick tap golf clap for them. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something I didn't expect. I mean, that was probably the most mad I ever was in my Sabres fandom was that May Zoom call in 2020. I mean, they laid off a ton of people <laughs> during that time too, which yeah. is like awful. Yeah. And yeah, so that that decision to hire Kevin Adams, like, it, it it's hard look to good. like... It didn't look yeah. good. But again, and like, it's that, and I don't know if they expected that, you know, the, you know, the kind of backlash or not but man they they stuck by their guy man like it's i'll give them credit for that because that 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 took some serious cojones to do what they did yeah i think they finally hit the realization that a lot of time i mean i don't even think many teams in the nhl even realize this now but being a gm you're really just 
a manager of a bunch of different apartments and there's yeah. too many gms in really any sport that literally try to do the whole thing by themselves and go on like ego trips and trade yeah. the 13th overall pick for alexander romanoff yeah and, like right, stuff exactly. like that well, you so. know what and frankly and i don't know maybe i'm just grasping at straws but again conspiracy theory show but remember when jerry oh god what's his last name fort fort fortan Something. Oh yeah, four chain. Yeah, but he huh? cried after the draft. He like he got emotional because like it just seems like his the Kevin Adams leadership style is just something that's re- rather unique. Because like you said, you deal with a Lou Lamorello, you you say the one wrong thing, you're probably out on your ass. Yeah. You know, so like it's I I don't know. I I think he's the right guy. I've, I I liked Kevin Adams even when they threw him out there to go fall on his own sword, or fall on their yeah. sword. Yeah, I still I still liked him. I just and I. I felt bad about the position they put him in, but I don't know. I like the person, um, and it's just a lot easier when you like, like can root for the the person himself because he just seems very genuine and open and honest. Um, seems like players really respect it. Obviously, his staff does. If some guy's going to break down in front of media after you know having a successful draft, I mean that's just that. I, I don't know. That just kind of spoke volumes to me. I don't know if I'm reading too much into it or not, but um, you know. Not not a lot of pressure on Kevin Adams to kind of you know, bring it full circle, but at the same time, it's you know it's just nice to finally be able to say that, frankly, because it was just constantly hair on fire. You know, it's always the meters on ten with Botterill and Murray and you know tanking and bad coaching and not living up and you know falling you know, bass, bass backwards into fricking getting Darlene and power. And they finally seem like they're on a, a nice course. It's nice to not say like, yeah, it's like an eight or a nine for the coach and the GM. It's like, cause I yeah. mean, besides last year, that was, you know, you couldn't really do that because I would even say it was an eight or a nine Kevin Adams first year. Cause like the thing was just in shambles and it's just like, you got to write the ship. It's like, yeah, you can yeah. screw up and it's not really going to affect the meter, but like, you just got to try to, you know, you just got to try to get this thing back on on course. So, I mean, I don't know. That's yeah. that's me speaking my piece on Kevin Adams and and you know ownership and whatnot. Yeah, because it's going to be interesting to see what his role is going forward. Like maybe they promote someone else to GM and have him step in a president role. But I, I think, think the be, big, I think it would be to to keep Carmanos if they really want to keep Jason yeah. Carmanos. And I think he's gotten you know interviews for for GM roles. I think that's what they would do. Because he already, you can kind of see behind the scenes. He he already, he's not a de facto GM, but like you can see the the GN, GM in him, and so that's kind of where I would think like, okay, like we want to keep this guy. All right, well now you're the president of hockey ops, and he's the GM. Boom. Yeah. But yeah, I like I like literally wouldn't change anything like if that were to happen about like the current setup because like NHL front offices shouldn't have one guy calling all the shots. There's so many smart people in hockey that are smart in a variety of different ways. Like I feel like the Sabres have find the perfect combination of both scouting and analytics and contract talks and experience and culture and all that. And the fact that they have Kevin Adams to lead that. And it's really just a bunch of thoughts rolled up into one uh, really running the Sabres team right now. I just hope they never lose that and never go back to like an authoritarian GM like we saw with a guy like Jason Bottrell or a guy like Tim Murray. Yeah, it was just, man, there's just, there's going to be a great 30 for 30 on, <laughs> on the Sabres. Yeah. Even if it's not by ESPN, I think TCB needs to make a little investment into some filmmaking to, <laughs> to make a 30 for 30 about. What did they say to Pat LaFontaine? Oh, God. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> you know, there we have more dead season ahead of us. There is, you know, development camp coming up, but I think we're probably going to have one more show of like real dead season in us. And maybe we can get into that, that time. But <laughs> I think that should, that that'll wrap it up for us. I, what did I say? It was going to be a 30 minute show and we were going to aim for 45 minutes. We are now over an hour, easily over an hour. So look at us go while we, uh, uh we drag this one out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I appreciate if you are still listening, really appreciate it. All the support has been great. Um, a lot of new things coming up for TCB. Um, some changes, um, some new uh, ways of engaging I'm excited about. I'm going to have more content coming out. Uh, the newsletter is you know, going to re-up again, which 
Um, I've, I've heard good things. That's, that's Walt behind the keys on that one. So shout out to you for that. Um, anything else? That'd be uh, amazing. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to, uh, to mention before we sign off here? Uh, yeah. I mean, really we have that guide coming up from the charging Buffalo. I, it's oh, going to be in the works probably preseason few weeks or so. Yeah. The preseason yeah. guide. It's, it's like a season, um, you know, preseason tuner to, to get you ready yeah. for, for the season. I'm looking for, Oh God, it's gonna be so freaking good. Yeah, so yeah, it's been something we've been thinking about doing for a while, but we're finally doing it. And yeah, nice. also keep an eye out for some more fun charging Buffalo stuff this season. We're going to have more articles on the website, like the newsletters coming back again, and maybe we'll have some fun events in the future as well. So looking yeah, forward like to this season. Person. Yeah, live in-person yeah. events, um, not only for this season, but the, the coming seasons. Um, there's there's some yeah. stuff that, yeah, hey, it might not be immediate um, for, for some of the things that we're teasing which obviously we're being very general and vague but um in the coming seasons you know keep an eye out i, I think there's going to be some some pretty cool stuff coming out so again uh this is the sabermetrics podcast hosted by the charging buffalo we'll catch you on the next one